We're going to be going deep into that small passage in James. You can never fully, in a sense, plumb the depths of the Bible. So those few verses we're going to spend some deep time in, as well as going to Matthew 11 and 12, our cross-reference reading. As I mentioned earlier, there are a couple of books that don't really appear in the sermon, they're not really being part of that, but are helpful books that if you want to be thinking about uh, gentleness and the passages we looked at. So Richard Sibbs at Puritan, as I mentioned, the kids talk, a bruised read, uh, is a helpful little book, as well as uh, Dane Orton's Gentle and Lowly, they're helpful books. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we recognise that if we want to hear you speak, we open the Bible. And this is our joy, our delight, to hear your voice. You speak in the Scriptures and you speak to us, you come to us gently. Father, as we hear your word, we pray that by your Spirit you would so work deep in our hearts, move us to faith in Christ and where we are having trouble with our belief, help our unbelief. Care for us as bruised reeds, as smouldering wicks. We ask in the name of the one who is gentle and yet powerful. In Jesus' name, Amen. As we said at the start of every message sermon in this series, and we're nearly finished, Normally we preach through books of the Bible, but we're in a systematic theology, a topical series on the fruit of the Spirit. God is setting the agenda in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And God gives us, where that fruit is singular, these nine aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. And gentleness is what we come to today. And as you look at your sermon outline in the worship booklet there, you'll see that outline... We are in a season of gentleness particularly, I think. A season of needing gentleness particularly, I think. That's what we're starting in that outline there. It's a season of, yes, needing to produce the fruit of the Spirit, but yes, moreover, gentleness. I think churches all the more need this. Like churches, perhaps wider in Bendigo, churches everywhere, but particularly, and we're always not talking about those people over there, we're talking about me and my heart, our heart, our church, Reforming Church. We need this, we are in the season of all sorts of things for all sorts of reasons that we need gentleness. Now for various reasons and for all sorts of events that have been happening in the life of churches worldwide, this has also become, I think, perhaps the second pandemic. The, the second pandemic, the one that's unseen, particularly amongst churches, is the opposite of gentleness. It is bullying, narcissistic behaviour, where leaders, particularly of churches, are harsh with people. Of course, we're all bruised reeds and smouldering wicks, as we heard in our Bible readings. We have a tendency to take it out on others by actions and our words, our harshness and our moping. We'll look into that. But I just wanted to start by saying that you may or may not have seen, but in the worldwide church, and particularly in the West, it was always in other parts too, in developing nations, I've seen it, but particularly in the West, there is a whole series of celebrity pastors, celebrity platforms, the big churches, the ones that everyone was always talking about, all of a sudden there's been an unravelling 
where a culture of domineering, which was encouraged, people with strong actions and words, given platforms, those platforms are now crumbling under bullying, narcissism and so forth. And, and, and whole scriptures have been ignored. We've, we've encouraged and put people into leadership where the Bible says, 1 Timothy, for example, an overseer must be not violent but gentle. I don't want to name things, but you, can, you don't have to go very far. Look up, there are podcasts on this. There's whole articles written on this. There is a church leader in America of a megachurch who threatened to bring a gun on someone else because he disagreed with them and, and then said, I was joking. It's not funny. There are church leaders who have made a name for themselves by using language in sermons or, or speaking about people in such a way that they can go under the bus and we can all just keep driving. They made whole ministries out of this. And yet God says we are to be gentle. Whole ministries have been developed, churches been built, planted even, where it was all about assessment or instruction or, or vision and mission, whatever you want to call it, was all about competencies rather than character. We looked at what people could achieve rather than how they could love. In 2 Timothy, Paul's second letter to Timothy, he says the Lord's servant needs to be able to correct his opponents with gentleness. And then, of course, Peter writes, elders, pastors, leaders, when they're not elite Christians, we know this, elders, pastors and leaders are not elite Christians, but they're example Christians. And so he writes this in chapter 5, that we are to be not domineering over those in our charge, but being examples to the flock. So you see the connection now, it's not just about leaders being ungentle, it's about whole churches and culture of churches being ungentle with people. So Paul writes to Titus, remind them to be, that's whole churches, remind whole churches to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one. See, we thought harshness was just with our actions. It can just be talking in whispers behind people's back. It can be speaking evil of people to avoid quarrelling and get it to be gentle. To be gentle. Friends, if you've been looking around at the world, but even churches in Australia, in, in us, we need Gentleness. We are in a season of need for this. We need to produce the fruit of gentleness in our lives. And if we're honest, gentleness can often escape us. It evades us. Gentleness is one of those fruits of the nine, or the nine aspects of that fruit, I think that is often most confused too. So when you look at gentleness, um, and you've been following along in our series, look, we looked already at peace and patience and kindness. And so you're going to think, what's the difference with gentleness? Like if there's kindness, what's the difference between kindness and gentleness? It seems pretty similar. There's also confusion about what gentleness looks like. Um, I think that we get confused because we think gentleness is just niceness. 
that actually niceness can be camouflage. So you can be surface level nice to people in front of them, smile and say all the right things and then behind their back be ungentle in your words. Niceness can just be camouflage for self-righteousness on parade. And some see gentleness as a kind of a weakness we wish to avoid. I often talk about the sermon and the passage with Amy and our kids and I talking with Amy and she said, look, there, there might be um, a difference in the way men and women perceive gentleness. Um, and so I'm recognising that, but I think if I could just speak to men perhaps in the room, this is not, it's, it's not always the case, but I think men sometimes could see gentleness as a weak thing. I need to be strong, not a coward. But friends, remember that series a couple of years ago, 2 Corinthians, one of my favourites. We're always weak. It's in our call to worship, isn't it? That trustworthy saying, I'm often wrong, I'm always weak, and I'm always welcome here. And you are too. I'm wrong, weak, and welcome. We're always weak. 2 Corinthians 12, Paul says that it's Jesus has to say to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. We're always weak, that is true. But let's not confuse gentleness with just being a pushover. Gentleness is not strengthless, it's not powerless. In fact, gentleness, I put it to you, is very powerful. Gentleness is actually, it's, it's, it's by someone who has the, all the power and yet all the restraint to use that power to love and lay down self for someone else. That is gentleness for the sake of another person. There's a, there's a book actually, an author, Andy Crouch, has written a book called Strong and Weak. He, he looks at this and, and shows that all of us have some level of power. Yes, we're all weak, but all of us have some level of influence and power, including in the church, including here in Reforming Church. All of us have some level of responsibility, power. We've got ability to do things. If you've got some cash, you've got some money, you've got some power. If you've got some sort of influence and conversation with someone, there's influence, there's power there. We all have some level of power. Gentleness is whatever power you have, the restraint to use it to love and lay your life down for others. That's gentleness. So the question is before us now, how are we going to produce it in our lives? How does the Holy Spirit produce that in us? And that's why we're in James chapter 3, that little section, with a cross-reference in Matthew 11 and 12. You can go to lots of places in the Bible and look at this, but, but upon reflecting, and this series has led me to deeply reflect uh, week in and week out about these aspects of the fruit of the Spirit and why is it we have trouble with them? Why is it that we are in need of them, particularly look around now after the last two years? How are we going to produce gentleness? James writes this letter often engaging with these very hard issues. It's Martin Luther the Reformer that says James is the epistle of straw because he says it hasn't got the gospel in it. I think Martin Luther's wrong, humbly if I may say. James is full of gospel, full of grace for those who have ears to hear, eyes to see, and he writes this letter for the wider church. And his big theme is instructing us to be doers of the word. He's, he's telling us to practice what we preach. 
And you actually believe in Jesus, then you'll be like Jesus, is James's point. And here he says, being like Jesus, growing in gentleness like Jesus, is, is receiving wisdom from above. For the wisdom of God will be seen in your works, it will actually be seen in gentleness. Gentleness is seen in the works of wisdom. Look at verse 13 in James 3. James 3 verse 13, Brent read it, let me read it again. Who is wise and understanding among you? And we're all looking around. Oh yeah, look among us. Because of various reasons, there's only about, I think, 25 of us in the room right now. Who is wise among us? How would you know? James writes, by their good conduct, and he is this imperative, let him or them or her show it by his works, their works, in the meekness of wisdom. The word meekness could be gentleness. When James writes, he writes in a social context that is so similar to ours. So when James writes to the churches kind of dispersed all over the place, the time and place that he writes, churches are experiencing some persecution. Maybe it's a bit light in some places, but they're experiencing some persecution. They're experiencing some poverty. They've received some loss, lost some jobs perhaps, various reasons. They're, they're going through a season where the pressure is on. Does that sound familiar? Now, when James writes the church, he writes into that and he says repeatedly throughout his letter, this is causing you to react in unhelpful ways. James 4 verse 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Notice it's not even just fighting the world, it's among us, us, church. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Is it not your passions are at war within you? See, the kind of conflict we could see people respond to with grace they've received would be the kind of, well, if you've received grace when conflict comes, conflict is always an opportunity for the gospel of grace. And so if you believe that, then conflict is, wow, we get to talk about the gospel again. But what often happens, James highlights, is the opposite. Conflict comes, pressure comes, I receive loss, I receive some sort of situation that I don't like to be in, I thought my life would be comfortable, and what do I do? I fight and quarrel among even my brothers and sisters. And James's point is, that is not the way of Jesus. It's easy to say you have understanding when all is going well. It's easy to look calm and see that, oh, wow, that person's really nice. But when the external circumstances come, niceness can be revealed to be just pretending, parading. The gentleness comes from the heart. Why aren't we gentle, friends? Secondly, this is where I want to go. Why aren't we gentle? I think it's verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, and do not boast and be false to the truth, where do you see the real Russ? Where's the real me? Is it here? Look, friends, you know me after nine years. I've, week in, week out, I've, I've done my best to be real with you. Often... I think a leader of a church should be the first person to be an example of how we confess. I'm often wrong, always weak. That's me. But even then, when do you, when do you see the real Russ? 
when the pressure's on. That's when the real rust comes out. You see, who I am, who I am really, is when the pressure is on, when the persecution comes, when the poverty takes, when problems disengage my reliance on God and send my heart into self-reliance overdrive. That's when you see the real me and that's when you see the real you. And James is showing what's happening in our hearts. Where we let jealousy, selfish ambition, where we let all sorts of things nest in our hearts, that's when the pressure comes, which leads to worldly reactions and actions and ultimately ungentle life. And notice this, gentleness is not just about the works that we do, it's not just like our works of our hands, gentleness is about our words, it's deeply spiritual. Look at verse 15. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Friends, what, is, what does the devil want? We've, we've been here before, we've asked this question before, reforming for a while. What does the devil want? He doesn't want us to be of the Hollywood movie, you know, doing the kind of projectile vomit kind of thing. That's not what Satan wants. He just wants you to not believe in Jesus and not be like Jesus. It's a simple game plan, really, and sadly, he often starts winning at times. When we start acting like this, with jealousy, selfish ambition, it's all about me. James says, that's demonic. And yet we try and coat it with other things. So we recognize it happening. So what do we do? Well, we'll just be more nice in front of people. But niceness is not gentleness. In fact, as one Australian Christian leader says, Christianity is not niceanity. Niceness is not gentleness. It's very different. Look at verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. You can see it. Look at someone's life. Someone calls themselves a believer in Jesus, and they're meant to be like Jesus, and then you look at their life, and if they're not like Jesus in their words, in their responses, even in their reactions, if they are not like Jesus, you have to ask, what is going on in that person's heart? Now, they might respond, it's the circumstances around me. That's not where James goes. He doesn't say, you know what the problem is? It's the circumstances around you. Because James is real in a really hard world. We are real in a really hard world. The last two years have been incredibly hard for Victoria. And you know me, and you know what happened to me in the last two years as well, personally. Add that, I felt suffering. It felt very, very difficult But at every temptation, and there was, to say, it's just the circumstances around me, that would not get to the heart of the matter what's happening in me. James doesn't want to just hit the surface and say, let's pray. He wants to get deep into our hearts and say, how can God change us by His Spirit? That's where the real, the real action is. Disorder in the church... Selfish ambition. What is selfish ambition? It's our way of seeking power in personal relationships. 
And whilst God gives us responsibilities and obligations and authority and all sorts of levels, selfish ambition takes what is God-given power, which is good and meant to be for laying down our life for others. We take God-given power, you know what we do, you know what selfish ambition does with it? It mutates it. Selfish ambition mutates God-given power that's meant to be for giving to others and self-sacrificing and mutates it into this sinful virus that turns us into people that just do whatever it takes, in fact, take it out on you so that you serve me. Why is that we tend not to be gentle? James, if you read the book, read the letter, has a whole list. Let me give you some. He says, we don't get what we want. We can be very well and nice on the outside when all is going well, but take away all going well and often what's really revealed is we didn't get what we want and we react very badly. We get pushy with our own agenda. We sulk rather than speak with people. We're not gentle. We need help. Desperately. We're not going to find it looking around here. We need what James says is wisdom from above. Wisdom from above to be gentle and low. Verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. The wisdom that God gives, the wisdom that is from above is sincere. Notice this. Gentleness can't be manufactured. It can't be manufactured by us. It's not like when those mega churches and celebrity pastors were crumbling, and, and one of them particularly famously was given you know, some time. Why don't you kind of take some time, take some annual leave, look at your heart, look what's going on, come back and then lead us. He was given that and he didn't take it up. But gentleness is not something you can just take some leave and go, you know what, I've got it worked out. When I go back, uh, when I get back into relationship with these people, I'm going to look like this. And just be nice. That's manufactured gentleness. It can't be manufactured. It can only be produced by the Spirit doing a supernatural work in our hearts. And this will mean, different to mere niceness, gentleness will be peaceable. It won't be harshness. Uh, Just this week, um, I've noticed online... Facebook, I don't know I talk about social media a bit here, but look, a lot of us live there. And literally, some of us live there on social media. But Facebook, for example, I've been part of a couple of you know, Christian, Australian Christian leaders groups, let's call it that, without naming the group. But I've been part of a couple of them. Uh, people put me onto them, you know, hey, Russ, join this group, Australian Christian leaders talking. That yeah, seems good. Christians talking online, well, that'll be very nice, won't it? That'll be gentle, that'll be loving, that'll be... Terrifically encouraging. It was anything but. One of them I left earlier, a long time ago. I was like, I can't, I can't see how this is Christian at all. The other one I left yesterday. I left as they were talking about, you know what, we need to have courage culture in the face of cancel culture. Okay, what's your thesis? Here it is. And they went on and attacking each other as they did. Courage culture means that we're going to have robust discussions. 
You know what I saw or many others saw? Not robust discussions. I saw nastiness, meanness, name-calling, belittling of people and people who call themselves Christians, Christian leaders. As other people also left, I noticed someone wrote this. Imagine people seeing these leaders writing like this and then sitting under their teaching on a Sunday. I don't want to imagine that. I want nothing to do with it. Friends, here's my point. It can take just as much, if not more, courage to be restrained and gentle. It takes more courage to be restrained in the face of all that that's been happening last years, all the negativity. It can take more strength of courage in the face of cancel culture, whatever culture you think you're fighting. It can take more strength and power of restraint to be gentle and loving. And our gentleness will be born from that wisdom from above. Gentleness will mean we listen to people, even when we disagree. Who would have thought we could disagree with people and love them? Who would have thought we could disagree with someone and then even remain in relationship with them? Where would you get power like that from? It'd have to be supernatural. It'd have to be from above, wouldn't it? Gentleness means we're full of mercy towards others. We'll actually seek the benefit of the doubt rather than flying off the handle of what we don't know or what we presume we do know. It will mean we're impartial. It'll actually mean we're not afraid to rebuke even if we do so gently. It will mean we're sincere. We don't want to be fake. We want to be honest from the heart. And if we do this, verse 18 becomes true here. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This time of year, it's harvest time. I know this because this was my life growing up. Everything else had to be put on hold. Harvest was here and you went flat out. Hurry up and wait was the phrase I grew up with, driving trucks. You just hurry up and wait all day. Harvest time is a time when you get to see the fruit of the Spirit in the life of a church. Harvest time is now for us. That We pray that we'll see the fruit of gentleness in our church. We're in the perfect season for it. COVID has meant, no, not sometime later when we're all going well, we do this series. Now, now, friends, is the time. Now we need gentleness more than ever. We need to invest in this. We need to invest in the fruit of gentleness in our life. How? By going to Jesus Christ. Do you see who Jesus is in James 3? In James 3, and then you've got Matthew 11 and 12, do you see who Jesus is? And back in Isaiah 42 that Matthew is quoting in Matthew 12, do you see who Jesus is? It's Jesus himself who is the personification of wisdom. He is wisdom himself in a person. And it's Jesus himself who is the personification of gentleness. Jesus is wisdom from above, James 3.17. Look at this. Let me read this verse out and, and then tell me who you think of. He is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial and sincere. Boy, that sounds like Jesus. And Jesus then, knowing that you and I are not like that often, because we are 
often wrong. Get this. He takes all our socially acceptable sins, which are really socially destructive sins, he takes all those sins and he shoulders them and goes to a cross for them. Jealousy, selfish ambition, boasting, being false to the truth, all those things that are in me are in you. Jesus says, I'm taking that, I'm going to absorb that for you. So the wisdom that God gives is the giving of himself from above. It is Jesus who comes low. From above, he comes low to live and dwell with us and then by his spirit, he lives in us. Therefore, producing the fruit of the spirit is the supernatural outcome of Jesus who wants us to grow in gentleness, produce that fruit. And when you look at Jesus, who do you see? Do you see someone who is... Um, powerless, a weakling? No. Jesus is not only a personification of wisdom, he's not only a personification of gentleness, Jesus is raw power. If you want to look at the most powerful person in the universe, it's Jesus Christ. He upholds the universe by his word and yet with powerful restraint he lays his life down low for sinners. That's gentleness. If you're exploring Christianity, let me ask you this question. Why would you want gentleness? Perhaps you're tuning in online. Why would you want gentleness? Let me ask you this. Do you enjoy the feelings of jealousy? Does that feel good to you? Do you enjoy feeling that selfish ambition never met? Do you enjoy feeling like Everyone should come to you and they never do and it just makes, does that make you feel good? Do you enjoy bitterness in your heart? Taking root, taking over? Jesus says in Matthew 11, come to me. All who labour and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. Friends, let the burden of bitterness go. There was a prophecy long ago. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 42, those servant songs, we, we sat at Christmas time, at Christmas time's coming, and we, we, we go into Isaiah usually, and there's a hopeful story, more hopeful than Santa. And, and we see in this story a prophecy. It's all about Jesus, where he comes and a bruised reed he will not break and a smouldering wick he will not quench. We saw this in the kids' talk, didn't we? We're all bruised reeds. Receive rest for your soul. He does not break bruised reeds. He will rescue you. He will refresh you. Go to Jesus. He's gentle with you. And friends, for the rest of us Reforming Church... I think we can assume gentleness is niceness. But a niceness never confronts sin. A niceness never admits wrong. That's not the gentleness of Christ. Galatians 6.1, brothers, sisters, if anyone is caught in any sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. 
See, we can assume gentleness is just niceness or speaking softly, but gentleness is not simply saying things nicely or softly. In fact, you can be ungentle in passive aggressiveness, can't you? Gentleness is not manufactured, it's produced by the Spirit and we need Him to do so. And so one of the things we start by saying, if you would like more gentleness in your life, pray that you would not quench your Spirit, pray that you would produce that in your life through the Spirit working in you, that you submit to the Spirit doing that. And gentleness means that we want to pray that we would have a church culture of Christ of this. Not having hard and harsh words with people, not having jealousy and selfish ambition, because by grace now we can be like Christ. We're all a bunch of bruised reeds, really. But the good news of Jesus that has come in, He's come not to break, but to heal. And He sends His helper with gentle words, producing the fruit of gentleness. Let's pray this becomes true of us. Let's pray now. Our gracious God, there are perhaps some of us in the room that we feel like our wick is just smouldering, there's not much left, it wouldn't take much. The next wind that blows to snuff us out. Some of us might be feeling like we just want to give up. Father, we know that Jesus won't put us out. We ask that you would help us go to him. We know, we recognise there are times that's not our first place to go. We, we go to grumbling, we go to harshness, we go to manufactured niceness, to anywhere else but gentle Jesus. Thank you that he came low to us to be with us where we are. We thank you for him, we need him. Thank you for his shepherding of our lives by his word. And we pray now, continue to work in us by your spirit to change our lives because by grace Jesus changes everything we thank you in Jesus name amen amen let's sing together